Welcome to Don't Read Drunk, a podcast about books and booze. I'm Jenny, and I'll be your host. Hi, welcome back. It's episode 96, and we're talking today about Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. Quick correction from last week, the Dark Academicals podcast, I said Dark Academials. So sorry about that. It was spelled correctly in the show notes. So hopefully you were, if you were looking for it, you found it, but I kept saying the name wrong. It is the Dark Academicals. (laughs) So things are slowing down at work, which I really hate. I'd much rather be busy and keeping active while I'm at work. There's only so much I can do. So I have a lot of downtime. But it's not really like downtime where I can read or do other things. So that makes it harder. I like I hate those days almost more than I hate days where I'm just constantly busy. Okay, I definitely hate those days more than those days where I'm constantly busy. I like being busy. I did have a really nice weekend. I read a little bit and cleaned up the house. And while it's more than a decade away, I do have plans to retire and move. So I want to kind of get things more organized in my house and get rid of things that I don't need. That way, when I do move in or do move, it'll be it won't be so hard to whittle down my possessions. I did always have the dream that I'd have my own library, not just books, but like a designated room as a library. And I still have some great pictures saved of what my dream library would look like, though I don't think that that's in the cards for me anymore, which means I also need to get rid of a lot of books. So I've put a plan together to get rid of at least one garbage bag of stuff per week and at least two books per week. I joined this group on Reddit to help with getting rid of stuff and I've gotten a few like good tips. And I do have Marie Kondo's book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, which I've never read. So maybe I'll have to pick that up and see if that helps too. I'm also telling the boy to find two things in his bedroom that he wants to get rid of each Monday. So hopefully that'll help with getting rid of like some stuff because as a kid, he's collected so much crap and so much junk that he doesn't use, that he hasn't looked at for years. But when I asked him to get rid of stuff, he's like, there's nothing I want to get rid of. So I'm going to make him get rid of at least two things every single Monday. Anyways, if I get rid of two books a week, that'll be 104 books in a year and will definitely make a dent in my collection. I haven't been as good about if I bring a new book home, I get rid of one. So I'm going to have to get back to that as well. Money has been tight lately, but it's been a good thing. It's helping to remind me what's important and that things aren't as important to me. So that's been going hand in hand with getting rid of things. It hurts a little that I have spent money on all this stuff that I don't need and I'm now getting rid of. And honestly, books are a little different for me too. Like I don't regret those purchases. Of course, many of the books that I'm getting rid of have clearance stickers on them. So I know I was smart about those purchases at least. Hopefully I'll remember these lessons that I'm learning and hopefully teaching the boy a little bit about how people and experience experiences are more important than things. 
it'll be a challenge for him for sure to start getting rid of stuff. But I was in his bedroom the other day and it is a disaster. There are some things that I do want to save for him and the girls if they have kids, like all the Legos and the kids' books. But there's a lot of other stuff that he has that can definitely go and that he's not going to want to keep as he gets older. It's fall, but my fall cleaning is definitely helping me feel better. (laughs) I love the weather, but I hate how dark it is. So getting into the booze this week, this was another tough one to pick a pairing for. With dystopian type novels, I always like to pair it with something that I would miss if there was a collapse in our current society. I definitely miss like some of my regular go-to drinks, but I'd also miss the option to try so many different beers and wines. Since this novel is partially set in the fictional Michigan town of Severn City, I decided to go with a Michigan beer. One of my all-time favorite Michigan breweries is Founders out of Grand Rapids. And out of all the Founders beers, their breakfast stout is one of my favorites. Founders Double Chocolate Coffee Oatmeal Stout is a meal in itself and was the perfect robustness for this novel. It's all the decadence that you'd miss about beer if society collapsed. So this beer comes in at a solid 8.3 ABV and 60 IBUs. According to their website, quote, a coffee lover's consummate beer, brewed with an abundance of flaked oats, bitter and imported chocolates, and two types of coffee, this stout has an intense, fresh roasted java nose topped with a frothy cinnamon-colored head that goes forever. Now, I am not a coffee drinker, but oh, I do love this stout so much. It is probably my second favorite after The Poet. The Poet has always kind of been my top, but this comes in as a strong second. It does have a solid coffee flair, but not too strong for a tea drinker like myself. Because of how hearty this beer is, you definitely want to be cautious with the pairings. You need a good pairing for this one. It's not just a beer to be paired with anything. A good base is important, so I would pair this with some venison, beef, or lamb stew with a nice crusty bread. I think that would be perfect. Great for fall. The combined rustic nature of the stew and the beer makes a cozy pairing to enjoy with the novel this week. And about Emily St. John Mandel. I've heard of Emily St. John Mandel before, but only in relation to Station Eleven. She's got a really nice website with this incredibly stunning photo of herself. It's very calm and peaceful, and it reminds me so much of her writing style. Just the imagery that her website gives is very in line with how I felt about her writing. Her bio kind of starts out in a tongue-in-cheek sort of way. Quote, St. John is my middle name. The books go under M. (laughs) So I'm guessing that's been kind of a a problem throughout her life that sounds like it might be a little frustrating to her. And I don't know that she meant to come across in in that tongue-in-cheek way, but I'm totally here for it because I get it. (laughs) This then goes in kind of towards a much more standard, boring bio (laughs) from her website. Emily St. John Mandel is the author of six novels, most recently Sea of Tranquility, which has been translated into 25 languages and was selected by President Barack Obama as one of his favorite books in 2022. Her previous novels include The Glass Hotel, which was also on Obama's list, 
was shortlisted for the Scotiabank Biller Prize and has been translated into 26 languages. And Station Eleven, which was finalist for a Novel Book Award and the Penn Faulkner Award, won the 2015 Arthur C. Clarke Award, among other honors. It has been translated into 36 languages and aired as a limited series on HBO Max. She lives in New York City and Los Angeles. There was a little bit more from Wikipedia, so I grabbed some of that as well. Quote, Emily St. John Mandel is a Canadian novelist and essayist. Mandel was born in the spring of 1979 in Burville, British Columbia, Canada. Her Canadian mother is a social worker and her American father is a plumber. St. John, her grandmother's surname, is her middle name. When she was 10 years old, she moved with her parents and four siblings to Denman Island, which is 20 miles south of Merville, near Union Bay. She was homeschooled there until the age of 15, during which time she began to keep a daily diary. She left high school when she was 18 to study contemporary dance at the School of Toronto Dance Theatre. She worked with independent choreographers. She was also administrative assistant at a Manhattan law firm and helped with grants at the Anderson City for Cancer Research at Rockefeller University. So I found this book in a little free library, which ironically enough, this morning when I was dropping off a few books at one of the little free libraries near me, I saw another copy of it and was tempted to grab it for a friend since I know it's such a good book. Does anyone else have that desire or is that just me? When you find a book you love, you want to buy it or um, like Little Free Library, take it home with you because you know it's such a good one. Like if I find good books on clearance at the bookstore or see it in a Little Free Library, I'm like, oh, I should grab that. I don't have a specific person in mind. I just know it's a good book. But that organization of my house reminded me I don't need another copy. So I left it for someone to find and hopefully enjoy as much as I did. Anyway, I had it for a while, but hadn't read it. A friend of mine suggested the TV show, and I did start to watch it, then decided against it because I knew I had the book and wanted to read it. So I think I got through the first two episodes of Station Eleven and then stopped, and I'm like, okay, I need to read the book and then watch the show. But I did rewatch the episodes once I finished the book so I could talk about both the book and the show for this week's episode. First of all, Mandel's style of writing is so beautiful, and I absolutely loved it. I did read a few reviews where some people didn't care for her style of writing. I loved it, though she's got such a poetic and peaceful way of writing, even though she's writing about some tough subject matter and like the end of the world. (laughs) It's got like this almost dreamlike quality to it that I'm glad they translated into the show so incredibly well. If you don't know anything about the show or the book, The story follows a number of characters, primarily Kristen, Jeevan, Arthur, and Miranda, and then Clark throughout several timelines. There is a flu and pandemic ending the world as we know it, and a large percentage of people die. Kirsten, did I say Kristen? Um, It's Kirsten. A young actor, when the collapse happens, joins the traveling symphony. The story is then told in the current timeline with the flashbacks of the lives of various characters. Mandel employs a third-person narrative, letters, and an interview to tell the story. Mandel shows how these characters are linked together both in the past and present. And kind of when I explain it in a way that I just did, the story sounds a little chaotic. Though Mandel weaves all of these techniques together really beautifully in a way that leaves the reader wanting more and wanting to understand even more about this dystopian future that she's created. 
I think the book could have been so much longer, honestly, or follow-up books. Even after I finished, I found myself wanting more from everyone's story. Kirsten felt a bit like the glue to me that bound each story together, that everyone was connected from through her, but that's not really true. It was really the character Arthur Leander who in the book is this famous actor who dies right before the Georgia flu hits. Kirsten is a child actor in the play, which Arthur is starring in. And it might be that I felt that way because I related most to Kirsten, maybe because I thought the book was mostly about her, but it's not really just about Kirsten. It's about all of these other characters and how they're connected. And again, they all are connected somehow to Arthur Kirsten's story really focuses on her experiences growing up in a world that has collapsed and then her time with the traveling symphony. It's very much about how art needs to survive for humans to thrive as a species. But honestly, that part didn't play into the story as much as I was kind of expecting it to. And honestly, I was a little disappointed because I thought, what kind of a unique take on that dystopian novel? And again, not to say that this wasn't a great story because it was a great story, but I I just was expecting it to be a little different and was a little disappointed in kind of some ways about it not being more about the traveling symphony. Kirsten has come to age, come of age faster than so many children due to surviving through a pandemic and the collapse of the world as she knew it. When the journalist is interviewing her, there's so much more I want to know and so much more I wanted him to ask. There are certain things that she doesn't respond to in the interview that form that are revealed later or revealed in other ways, but I feel like there's so much more about Kirsten that was left unanswered. unanswered. Clark's story is told from the fictional Severn City Airport. Clark is Arthur's longtime friend, and this part of the story felt the most familiar and relatable in considering the recent COVID pandemic. Though Station Eleven was originally published in September of 2014, there are several things that she nails. Elizabeth, a former wife of Arthur's, is also with Clark in Severn City for a time. She says, quote, it's unprecedented, which if I had a nickel for every time I heard that phrase during the COVID pandemic, (laughs) it was also almost eerie reading about the pandemic of the Georgia flu in the novel. I didn't have a great pandemic. It was really emotionally challenging for me. It's one of the reasons I started the podcast, but it was extremely difficult time for me. Like I know some people, it was really great for them. And there were some positives that came out of it, but it was still like not the greatest time in my life. And I really haven't consumed any media that references a pandemic or our pandemic because it was just a tough time for me. So it was both eerie and a bit of an emotional hurdle to overcome, especially during those portions. It brought a lot of memories back about that time that I didn't really want to think about. Elizabeth says also, quote, I can't wait until things get back to normal, which for them, it didn't. Thankfully for us, it did. It's a little sad almost how quickly things return to, quote, normal, and how it doesn't seem as some of the lessons of the pandemic were truly learned by a lot of our society. Though, it's a whole different podcast if I wanted to dive into that. 
And then, of course, there is Cheevan, who is by far my favorite character. Even if I related to Kirsten more, I really liked Cheevan. It's one of the big differences from the novel to the series. And this is a little bit of a spoiler alert. I don't think it's a big spoiler. But if you don't want any spoilers, skip ahead because I'm going to talk a little bit about the differences between the show and the novel. But in the show, Jeevan takes Kirsten with him to his brother Frank's, where in the novel, she returns to her home and stays with her brother. And personally, I like the difference. I really like the TV series Jeevan. He's much more nuanced and interesting. There are also some pretty major differences with the prophet and his interactions with the traveling symphony. You know, it's it's a different path. And of course, there's kind of a different ending with the the series than with the book. And at the end of the day, I'm not really bothered by the changes made with the prophet. Regardless, he's a dangerous person and that instability and danger transcends both screen and novel. In any dystopian novel, there are similar similarities. And the prophet reminds me a bit of the governor from The Walking Dead. There always has to be that antagonist in, well, in a lot of stories, but especially in dystopian novels, it's not all, you know, roses and champagne. (laughs) Though at the same time, I think we enjoy dystopian novels as a form of fantasy where we can logically return to a simpler time that you have to return to a simpler time because of the collapse. I think when people think of the collapse of society as we know it, there's a part of the story that we idealize a bit. I know personally, I think about retirement and retirement is a return to some simpler things, less work in an office and in front of a computer, but more work outside and gardening. And I don't have the time to do that now, but I'd like to. Less TV, more reading, more walking through my property, enjoying nature. So there's a part of dystopian novels that kind of focus on that simplicity. Jeevan finds a community. Kirsten finds the traveling symphony. Clark creates his own, or at least is part of creating his own self-sustaining community. There's a certain romance in these things that I think readers enjoy. And I know it's definitely part of what I enjoy. And Mandel creates a nice vision of those ideals. It's not perfect because we know if society collapses, it's the Wild West all over again. There will be evil that emerges. Well, there is evil now, but evil will emerge in a different way. And But as someone who has faith in humanity... I believe that the beauty of human nature will come through as well. And that's one of the, I think, hopeful things about dystopian novels. Despite the trials and tribulations, I think it does give people a lot of hope. And I think Mandel does it beautifully. She talks about the symphony warming up and I can hear the noises in my head. As he said earlier, it's like almost dreamlike and fever dream that she writes. And I could easily place myself inside her world. It's dreamlike and beautiful, but terrifying and heartbreaking at the same time. I cried during the novel and the series, though, at different times and for different reasons. And of course, I cried because I would never want to leave my child alone. And my heart broke for the parentless children in the story. However, there is something also that's very satisfying in the like visual destruction of the access to. It's much more pleasurable for me in the series versus imagining it myself in the novel, but kind of looking at, you know, kind of that materialism of what we have now and then seeing that overgrown visually. There's something I enjoy about that. I don't know. Maybe I'm a little nuts about that, but 
There is one scene in the series that also really stood out for me as beautifully opulent despite the collapse of society. The Traveling Symphony is visiting Gil, their old director. And of course, this is different from the book too, but it adds a lot to the show. They're at Gil's house in this huge dining room eating what looks like a fabulous dinner. And it's the moment in the series where everyone can feel like, quote, normal for a moment. And the novel does such a better job of injecting our current humanity into the emotions. Arthur stays in touch with Miranda, and I can't figure out why. The younger and more naive version of me thinks that they still love each other, though I know that's not true. That's definitely not the reason that they stay in touch. When Arthur dies, Clark wants to call all of his ex-wives because, quote, something must linger, a half-life of marriage, some sense of memory of love, even though obviously not the thing itself. So perhaps this is the reason that Miranda and Arthur still talk, though only occasionally after the divorce. And I think it's true having, you know, split with someone I love. For me, there's definitely something that lingers, something that's that's still there. It's not necessarily that I still am in love with that person, but it's there. And I don't think that that's ever going to go away. So I definitely related to that part. In the novel, it seems as Arthur and Miranda and Elizabeth are all people really in touch with their emotions. And that something lingers for them too. While again, not love, just some sort of affection, some sort of, of leftover feelings. So I related to that emotion, but I also related to Arthur and Miranda's talk about growing up in a small community. It comes up for both of them in ways that make me think that Mandel experienced that for herself. In her bio, it said she did live on an island until she was like 15. And Arthur and Miranda both come from an island. So I think that she put part of herself in that. Miranda says about New York City, quote, It's possible that no one who didn't grow up in a small place can understand how beautiful this is, how the anonymity of the city feels like freedom. And later in the novel, Arthur reveals to Clark that, quote, Toronto felt like freedom. After growing up in a small community, there was no privacy and everyone knew him. And even though he becomes famous, it's a very different feeling for him. And he recognizes that difference. I adored both the series and the novel for different reasons. And despite their differences, I felt myself tearing up at the end of the book because it was ending and I wasn't ready for it to end. It really was just sheer magic for me. And I highly, highly recommend this one. This was a five out of five for me. And this book is going on my special bookshelf full of books that I keep for myself and I don't lend out, but I will lend it to my mom and that's it. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe I will go back to that little free library and pick up that extra copy after all. I'll just have to make sure to donate some other books in its stead. Goodreads gives it a 3.93. One reviewer said, quote, at first it reminded me of Stephen King's The Stand and Justin Cronin's The Passage, but I ended up liking it, which is funny because Mandel mentions The Passage in the novel, and I've already checked it out at the library, so you might hear that in an upcoming podcast. Another reviewer said, quote, a very scary audiobook. I'm enjoying this. Yes, thought-provoking and captivating good one. So this was kind of odd and I was surprised that there were not a ton of reviews on Goodreads. I did read a few reviews on Reddit too, um, which I kind of talked about that someone didn't really care for her writing style as much. But 
this book was a huge success, just maybe not as successful for Goodreads and not as many people reviewed it. I think it's a great one. I can't wait to read more of Mandel's books. Her writing style really grabbed me right away and I loved it. Media recommendations for this week, of course, Station Eleven on HBO Max. Again, very different than the novel, but oh so good. That incredible dreamlike quality that it has is really just engaging, and it, it definitely tugs on the heartstrings. So check it out. Pete, if you're listening to this one, I think you'll really like the show, probably more than the book, so you should check out the show. Uh, a repeated recommendation for this week, too. Pause on Hulu. If you haven't watched this one yet, what are you waiting on? This is a heart-wrenching yet laugh-out-loud show about what it was like to be trans in 80s New York City. It's a show based on the house and ball culture. It was created by Ryan Murphy, Brad Falchuk, and Stephen uh, Cannells. Murphy worked closely with Hector Extravaganza and the creator of the show. And if you don't know who Hector Extravaganza is, look him up too. While I love Blanca, I'm especially moved by Angel and Pray Tell. The acting is incredible and the emotion is so real. Also, the actress who plays Blanca is also in the newest season of American Horror Story. And I was so excited. As soon as I heard her voice, I'm like, I know that voice. Is that Blanca? And it is. And I didn't write down who the actress is, but I love her. And I was so happy to see her in the new um, season of American Horror Story. In my opinion, though, Pose is one of the all-time best television shows in history. It is definitely at the top of my list anyways. Thanks so much for listening. You can find me on Instagram at don'treaddrunk, email at don'treaddrunk at gmail.com, and my website, don'treaddrunk.buzzsprout.com. There is no apostrophe in any of the don'ts. You can support this podcast by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash don't read drunk. You can also get that in um, the link in my show notes too. This is a hobby podcast, so any support definitely helps. Thank you to my sponsors, Aaron Ruiz at One Up Till Sun Up, who created the music. You can find Aaron and One Up Till Sun Up on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Avenue Coffee House, you can find them on Facebook and their website at avenue-coffeehouse.com. Also, Supernova Coffee and Donuts, downtown Milwaukee. Don't forget about my newest sponsor, Karen Rothley Fine Arts. You can find Karen on Etsy and Facebook. Next episode, The Perils of Extremism by Jason Van Tatenhove. Bye, and talk to you soon. 